no matter what the circumstance in life. And I know sometimes we don't feel like rejoicing, but it is through rejoicing in the faith that we have in Christ Jesus that he helps lift us up even in the midst of those circumstances. We have been called to rejoice and to rejoice in the Lord always. And it's a practice that we should learn to do. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Paul is officially closing out the letter to the Philippians now. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Finally, but it wasn't actually his finally, finally, because he's going to come back to that in verse 8. And he's actually in this chapter going to close out the letter and he begins to deal with some individuals, three by name, that are only named in this passage in the New Testament. We don't find them anywhere else in the New Testament. They were connected primarily to the church in Philippi. And he also gives us some what I call proverbial sayings, somewhat like Solomon, but there's a little one or two liners that he throws out there as he's closing out this letter. And to teach the church in Philippi, and I believe to teach us today how we should operate, how we should conduct ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul next goes into these proverbial type sayings, a little one or two liners that he gives us. The first is that of in verse four, where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's part of a song. We've done it many times around here. Got to clap at the right spot. Twice fold, he says to rejoice. We're to rejoice always. It means in every situation. This has been dubbed the theme of the book of Philippians is that of joy or gladness or rejoicing because 12 times in 10 verses, Paul has called for the Philippian church to rejoice either 10 times as rejoice, one time as rejoicing, one time as rejoiced. But this theme of rejoicing there given in the book of Philippians, where in 118, he again twofold said to rejoice, to rejoice because Christ was preached. He anticipated the Philippians rejoicing over him when he came to them being released from prison. He looked forward to the word is rejoice, but rejoicing in the day of Christ, knowing that he had not run or labored in vain in 2.16. He rejoiced, the word rejoice again being used, but he rejoiced knowing that his life has been poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of the Philippians' faith. 
And he asked them to rejoice in Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Paul called for the church to rejoice in the Lord before diving into this theme of the Judaizers who were coming in, teaching another gospel in in chapter 3, verse 1. He called them to rejoice before he began to speak about that theme. He asked them to rejoice in Christ because they were of the circumcision who worshiped God in the spirit, having no confidence in the flesh in 3.3. In 4.4, as we've just read, he calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then the final rejoicing is is the word rejoice in 4.10. And Paul rejoiced over the care package that came his way from the Philippian church to bring him aid while he was in prison there. And as I reviewed this several weeks ago, but in the New Testament, we have these marvelous reasons to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, always, John, in every situation. Yes, the scripture calls us to rejoice in the Lord always, even when things are really going bad. Yes. Well, how can I rejoice when things are just going bad. I I have this illness and I don't know if I'm going to recover from it. I've just lost my job. There's been a death in my family. How can I rejoice in these situations? Well, you can rejoice because in Matthew 5, 12, it tells us that we can rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is our reward in heaven. We can rejoice because in Luke 10, 20, it tells us that we rejoice because our names have been written in heaven. We can rejoice because in Romans 5, 2, it tells us that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, Peter tells us that we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving in the end your faith, the salvation of your souls, that we are saved and we rejoice. 1 Peter 4, 13, when we are partakers of the suffering of Christ, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy, no matter what the circumstance in life. And I know sometimes we don't feel like rejoicing, but it is through rejoicing in the faith that we have in Christ Jesus that he helps lift us up, even in the midst of those circumstances. We have been called to rejoice and to rejoice in the Lord always. And it's a practice that we should learn to do. We've also been called another proverbial type saying, verse five, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And here's this teaching, this thought again, that Jesus is coming very soon. And because Jesus is coming very soon, we are to let our gentleness be seen within the body of Christ. That's not what it says. It says, let your gentleness be seen with all men. And that means outside the body of Christ. It's easy sometimes to let our gentleness, a Greek word that has been translated as being equitable or mild manner, kind of like Superman or fairness, that we are to be gentle. It's easy to be gentle among your own people. But Paul said, let this gentleness be known to all men. So he takes it outside of the church. He takes it outside of the church because Jesus is coming. And the people outside of the church need to know that the Lord is coming one day and that if they are not saved, that judgment will be upon them. We need to take it outside because Jesus is coming. James said in James 5, 8, 
You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is near. His coming is very near. And James tells the church, don't be grumbling with each other because the judge, Jesus is going to deal with the situation if we don't do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18 and try to deal with the situation on our own between our brother and sister and to take that three-step process or even one of the three steps, it could resolve in step one. How blessed would that be? But the Lord is coming. And so we are to exemplify faith outside of this church house that others can see the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, the gentleness, the mild manner, the fairness, the equity that we have toward all who are around us. You guys don't see me blow up too much. I don't get mad very often. It can happen. It has happened. I remember once nailing one of the Army Corps engineer guys at the Navy base for hounding my guys, and I thought putting us in a very dangerous type setting, making the whole team nervous. And, and we accomplished the work and we did it very quickly. He left to go get a camera to photograph us. And I was doing everything to the letter because I knew the guy wanted to bust me for some kind of code violation that we were doing. And so when he ran to get his camera, we were setting this huge stone. And I told my guys, I want that stone in the wall before this guy comes back and scaffold down. And he came back with his camera. Stone was in the wall, scaffold was down. And then I turned on him and I got in his face. I nearly got banned for life from the Navy base because of this one little outburst. But when I think about it now, it's not what happened that makes me smile. It's what my Irish bricklayer said afterwards after everything was done and the guy was gone and and we were wrapping up he says ah oh, johnny you get red in the face just like i do when you get mad <laughs> you know he just hadn't seen that in me but it, 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 it can happen righteous i don't know but i was caught up in the moment and, and from the guy who, who got my wrath that day, that was the only time he experienced my wrath. I did it without cussing, too. <laughs> a lot of people don't do that. And they just say, well, you know, I'm a believer, but you know, every once in a while. Not, you can display wrath without using bad language. It can happen to all of us. When it happens all the time, there's a danger there. And for some people, that's how their lives are perceived. And that's a danger. We're to be known by our gentleness. And it's to be known to all men outside. There's to be a reason that they would be attracted to our actions, that they would ask, why are you different? And it would give us opportunity to share. A day at the Navy base, the guy who was receiving my wrath that day, he didn't ask me why I was different than anyone else. He knew I was a believer. He had been working with me for over five months, but something happened, and I still to this day 
never knew. I was off that job for a while and came back to finish it up, that something happened that turned this man against our company, and it got so bad that my employer sent me back to finish the job, and that's how I ended up in the situation, and we still never knew exactly what was going on there. So we can all have those moments. We can seek forgiveness, but we are to be known by a gentle nature, uh, to be mild-mannered, to be fair, to have equity between others, and not just within the church, but especially his call here in verse 5 is outside the church. Let them see it. Verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Anxious, referring to that which monopolizes our hearts, our concerns. We just can't get past it, and it's just kind of overtaking us. Even when Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 through 33, that he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? After these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have the word of the Lord saying, Just seek me, God's kingdom, my righteousness, and I'll, I'll take care of these things for you. And we say, no, Lord, I want to worry about these things. Please let me worry, because when I worry, I get upset stomach and bleeding ulcers. And uh, for me, uh, when I was, I don't think it was worried, it was just overstressed. But when I was running those crews of some 25 to 40 plus guys laying brick, at times I would have 12 or more canker sores in my mouth. And sometimes I couldn't even speak. And it was just a, an outcome of that stress that was in my life. And rarely, you know, people talk about a sore now, and I think, baby, <laughs> if I have one, I'm, it's like, just one. Try having 12. Then you know what pain is. But we are anxious. Don's not here now, but one day... He was standing in the foyer, he was looking out the window, and he was troubled, and I walked up, put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in you. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I'm just quoting back the word of the Lord to Don. A few months later, I was looking out the same window with a worried expression, and Don came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, let not your heart be troubled. It can happen to us all. And we can get all anxious and anxiety, but we're to everything by prayer, by supplication and thanksgiving. And I think the worry kind of overtakes us because we're not through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving letting our requests be known to God. And so again, I think the failure when those anxious times comes on our life is that sometimes the failure's on us, but at other times... You know, we may be praying, we may be through supplication and thanksgiving, but we're still not getting a resolve. And that's where Jesus continues to say, or through Paul says in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding. It means you, you don't have to understand why you're going through the things that you're going through, but God's peace can still evade your heart and your life and, and take away the anxiety in the midst of your troubles. 
He can guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. There's two illustrations from two different people that have really stood out to me, and it involves verse 7, but really verses 6 and 7, but it comes directly from verse 7. The first illustration came from my friend John Marquardt, who pastors down in Florida uh, currently now, and he had pastored in Florida some 25 years ago, and one of the couples that came to faith while he was pastoring there, her husband in his 30s came down with this just bizarre illness that within a year took his life. And John, when he was praying with this woman who had just lost her husband, he prayed that God would give her peace now and understanding later. And sometimes that's all we can seek is the peace of God to invade our hearts, even though we don't have the understanding. Maybe we'll never receive the understanding, but God can give us that peace. But John telling me that story over the phone, and the reason he was telling me that story is because that man had gotten saved through John's teaching, but it fell away. And I preached one time at John's church, and that man gave his heart back to Jesus on that one occasion. It shocked me, people. I was standing with my eyes closed doing an invitation, and suddenly I looked up, and he was right in front of me. But John told me after that time, he continued to walk. So we shared in this ministry with this guy, one bringing him to faith, one bringing him, helping him come back to faith. So he was telling me the situation because of that. We've been praying over the situation. But God can give us peace, sometimes without the understanding. The second comes from uh, Kevin. And he revealed that verse 7, or 6 and 7, but especially 7, in the second half of the verse this time, had been his life's prayer. It's his life's verse. Because at seven years old, Kevin had heart surgery. And after having a major surgery, you kind of wonder, is everything going to keep working in there? You perhaps think about that, especially the heart. It's the one muscle, right? That one fails. We can lose other muscles in our body. Lose the heart muscle, you're done. And so this has been his prayer, that God would guard his heart and his mind through Christ Jesus. He revealed this to us when Nathan, at three years old, had to have heart surgery, his son. And now Kevin prays this prayer, not only for himself, but for his son also, that the Lord would guard his heart, physically guard my heart. But spiritually, there's implication here that, Lord, guard our hearts and our minds. And sometimes, you know, the heart muscle can be fine. God said, I've taken care of the heart. Would you quit thinking about it? Sometimes we drive ourselves crazy with the thought of what if something and if is never going to come to pass. And so the Lord is able to guard our hearts and guard our minds. And these are just two illustrations from this verse that have stuck with me through the years. And I wanted to share those with you today. And then the closing verses, verse eight, first, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditation is something the Lord has given to the church. It means to ponder, to kind of chew on, to think about. And it's something I believe the church that we don't do often enough any longer. You know, we live in a society that 
If we don't have something on at all times, we feel like something's wrong. That if it's just quiet, what's if it's quiet, I can hear my ears ringing and I don't want to hear my ears ringing. So give me noise. Yep, still ringing. If it gets quiet enough, I can even hear my own heartbeat at times. And we don't like quiet. But I think it takes quiet stillness to properly meditate on the Word of God. David said in Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. Psalm 119.27, I will meditate on your wonderful works. Psalm 143.5, I will remember the days of old. I will meditate on all your works. I will muse the works of your hands. That thought of meditation, here we are called to meditate on those things that are true, that are noble, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of good report, those things that are of virtue, those things that are worthy of praise, these things we've been called to meditate on. And I tell you, I can't think of anyone who is more true, who is more noble, who is more just, more pure, more lovely than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what better report could we receive than that of his salvation? For there is no one who is more virtuous or praiseworthy than Jesus. And then he closes. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me. Do these and God, the God of peace will be with you. Paul closes. Well, for us today, we close in verse 9. He reminds them again to follow his example. The things that you have learned from me that you received from me, that you heard from me, and that you also saw in me. I had a pastor friend in Zion, Illinois, and there was another church in Zion that was a huge church and just doing some great things. But my friend who is the pastor, speaking about this other church, he said, but the pastor lives in Milwaukee. He doesn't live among his people. And so they don't really know him. He comes and preaches. It was his practice. I don't understand it. But Paul is saying the things you learned and received and heard. And no doubt this pastor who lived in Milwaukee and taught in a church in Zion taught them. And the people learned and received and heard from him every week in the pulpit. But they didn't get to see him live it out because he took his life somewhere else. And there's a lot of people who disconnect in ministry. But they, Paul said, but you also saw it in me. And you can have all the words and have the right words. But if you don't live it out, then the words mean nothing to you, the one who's speaking the words. You can have all the right words and preach from the pulpit the word of God and not be a believer yourself. And people can get saved because you have given them the word of life. And that's why Paul at that one point says, Christ is being preached, you know, whether through selfish ambition or what. I don't know. In pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I rejoice because when Christ is preached, people can be saved. But Paul said he lived a, an exemplary life. He said, follow my example. Follow my example. The things that you learned from me, received from me, heard from me, and saw in me do these things, 
And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, the author of Hebrews said this about the God of peace. May the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The God of peace working in us to make us complete in every good work, to do his will, working out what's pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him is glorified forever. So we, as the beloved of the Lord, we are to not only love or hold dear each other here within this fellowship, but we are to stand fast in the Lord. Bless us, Lord, as we close out this song. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.